For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. I will be joined in today's show by Dave Choate, who is editor-in-chief over at falcolic.com, where you can find awesome coverage of the Atlanta Falcons head coaching search. You can also find my written content over on the site, so be sure to go check that out. Um, Dave and I are going to go through our top five head coaching candidates for the current Falcons vacancy. So I thought this would just be a really great way to kind of lay out a bunch of different candidates and just give a little bit of kind of a fan local media perspective on what it would mean for the city. What kind of culture would this coach bring? Is it right for where the organization is? And I really think you're going to enjoy that conversation. Um, Before we get in there, though, I just wanted to go down the list of the coaching candidates who have the Falcons interviewed, who have they requested to interview for this vacancy because they are casting a very, very wide net, which I think a lot of people appreciate, right? If the Falcons say that they are doing everything that they can um, to not only get this coaching search right, but also to have lasting success on the football field, then yeah, you want to overturn every single rock possible to make sure that you are doing your due diligence. But again, the Falcons kind of did this the last time around. They do this in every coaching search. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if there's this big scramble right now of interviewing a lot of people and then it settles down. And second week of February, like that's when the news comes out. Does it come out post-Super Bowl? I wouldn't be surprised because this is a scramble. And weirdly, you know, the, the coaches in this cycle who are available, have more leverage based on what they've done. Somebody like a Jim Harbaugh or a Pete Carroll or a Bill Belichick, um, even maybe a Raheem Morris. Like They've been around the block. They're going to be patient. And so it, it weirdly flips, I feel like, the leverage from the team side to maybe the, the hiree side. Um, and so that's just a, a new element. However, I also wouldn't be surprised if this is coming out Thursday morning, Friday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon next week, like the Falcons announced their guy. So who could that possibly be? They've interviewed seven coaches um, for this job so far. You have Jim Harbaugh. It was announced Tuesday night that he was interviewing for the position. Um, Bill Belichick, formal interview. Anthony Weaver, the uh, Ravens assistant head coach and D-line coach, received a formal interview. Ajiro Evero, um, the Panthers defense coordinator received uh, an interview and has taken it. Steve Wilkes, the 49ers defensive coordinator, uh, got a formal interview. Brian Callahan, the uh, Bengals offensive coordinator, received an interview. And then Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, has also received an interview. So those are the seven coaches who have already formally interviewed with the Falcons for the position. Um, and then there are five more who they have reportedly requested 
to interview, but have not actually gone through the interview process yet. And most of these coaches, the reason for that is because their team is still playing in the postseason. Um, So the 49ers had a bye, which allowed Steve Wilkes to take that interview over the bye week. Um, The other coaches were all playing this past week and most of them won. And so there you go. They will probably be interviewed once the uh, the postseason wraps up, but that is Antonio Pierce, uh, Vegas's interim head coach, Aaron Glenn, the uh, Lions defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, and Bobby Slovic, the Texans offensive coordinator. So there we go. Those are all the coaches who have been linked to the Falcons. We are going to have a little bit of a bonus episode. Friday afternoon, going into the weekend, I'm going to speak with Steve Weish of NFL Media, and he just does a great job covering the entire league, has his pulse on the landscape of everything, but he also has ties here to the Falcons and kind of keeps a close eye on on this team here. So he's going to, I'm sure, have some great information and insight into the coaching search. Um, So again, be on the lookout for that Friday afternoon, going into the weekend as a little bit of a bonus treat for you guys. But let's not delay any further and go ahead and get into my conversation with Dave Choate. With the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile devices, you can access the world's best wagering information at any time. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Very excited to be joined once again by Dave Choate, who is, of course, the emperor over at thefalcoholic.com. You guys can find him on Twitter, at Words and Beer, and at thefalcoholic. Dave, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me, man. Absolutely. And uh, my cat's here too. So yeah, we'll have a good discussion here. Yeah, we got a full round table. It's it's awesome. You know, the more the merrier. Um, and I, I can't wait to get his and or her thoughts. Is it what is it? What kind of cat is it? Let's get let's get some more details on the cat. Uh, it's a he he is I don't know what kind of cat he is. He's a cat. He's 15. He's got strong <laughs> opinions on the coaching search. So yeah. Well, we're off to a uh, a great start. We sound like a Carolina Panthers podcast, um, but we are not here to just bring you all the uh, the feline action. We are going to get into basically our, our top five candidates for Atlanta's head coaching position. You know, you and I were talking yesterday, and I, I asked if you'd be interested in doing this, and you sent me over your list, and I think it's a really compelling conversation. Um, and so I, I thought it would just be a great chance to before the action really happens because it, you know the news is coming hot and heavy now at this point and it can be a little bit of a hurry up and wait or something could happen this afternoon tomorrow right we're recording wednesday um afternoon so anything really could happen this week which is why i thought it would just be a good time to take stock of everybody who's been attached to the falcons and where we land on them so I want to, before we dive into our list, just get your overall thoughts on how this has all played out so far. Has it started the way that you thought the Falcons head coaching search would start? Um, Yeah, I would say it's been more expansive than I expected it to be, which is, which is a positive for me. Um, 
judging by the reports about their interest, um, and specifically Arthur Blank's interest in the big names, the Harbaugh's, the Belichick's, um, I was worried that we would get kind of a cursory search outside of them. But I think the candidate list they've put together is a good one. Um, it, it's filled with candidates that, that I like, um, certainly, which is the most important qualification, right? Um, and, and I think that the fact that they haven't rushed headlong into doing this with, say, Belichick um, is, is a point in their favor, whether it you know, that's because Belichick isn't interested in rushing headlong into it or not. Um, you know, the fact that we'll come out of this, you know, hopefully with 11 or 12 candidates interviewed from a variety of backgrounds, I think is is a good thing. I was listening to um, Bill Simmons podcast, I think last week, and he had Michael Lombardi on who obviously has a lot of experience as a general manager in this league, knows Bill Belichick well, and and was just kind of getting his thoughts on you know, why a team might move on from somebody like Arthur Smith or a team might move on from, you know, maybe something happens in Dallas or just kind of these weird moments for different franchises that seemed like it was set up for something else at the start of the season. And he said that it could be more about the opportunity to land one of these coaches in, in his opinion, kind of like a historic coaching pool, right? Very, very rarely, if ever, do you have somebody like a Bill Belichick and a Pete Carroll available at the same time, let alone with a Mike Vrabel in there. Then you then you get to kind of the list of all of the young up-and-coming coordinators who would, in any other year, be kind of like the top-tier guys. And oh, by the way, Jim Harbaugh wants to come back from college after winning a national championship. So it's like, there could just be a sense where, hey, it's not that this guy is the worst coach we've ever had in the world. Although fans will, will tell you that Arthur Smith is, we don't have to talk about that anymore. Thank God. Um, it's more about the opportunity to go after the white whale in a bill Belichick. Do you, do you kind of agree with that assessment? I think so. I think there was kind of a, a twofold thing with Arthur Smith, who then we'll stop talking about, um, which was, <laughs> I think the way the season ended, whether it should have been the determining factor or not, you know, really doomed him, like just how bad they looked um, a couple of the last weeks of the season. For sure. And, and I think it is that opportunity, right? Like, I think if Belichick had stayed with the Patriots, if Harbaugh was committed to Michigan, they might have just ridden this thing out with Smith, um, even though I, I'd argue that there's still a strong coaching pool, even without the two of them, that you would have been smart to explore. So I, I do think it ended up being kind of a twofold thing. I think Blank has been thinking about this for a while. Um, with the availability of some of these coaches. So I think that's probably the right read. Yeah, it, it does feel like if if the season had gone differently for some other teams and coaches weren't out there, then then maybe that does play a factor. But you're right in saying that Arthur Smith ultimately kind of you know, dug his own grave with the way that the team finished the season and it forced the hand. It would be weird, though, in an alternate reality if all right, let's say you have a closer game against New Orleans and you and you blow out Carolina on the road and then all of the coaches are still available and it's like, all right, yeah, we went eight and nine. We're going to keep Arthur Smith. Like it, that was, it's just weird if that was kind of really depended on one or two games, even in a off season where there's like all these coaches that you love out there generally generationally. Um, but they're on the market for a new head coach, and that's what we're here to talk about. So let's go ahead and get into our top five lists. I'll start. Um, so my number five is actually Ben Johnson. 
the Lions offensive coordinator who you have at a higher spot on your list. So we're just going to kind of save that conversation. And, you know, when we get to him on your list, we'll talk about him then. So let's go ahead and go to your number five, Dave. Yeah, my number five is uh, Steve Wilkes. And, you know, we, we talked about this briefly before the show, Will, but I, I think that the Falcons are focusing in on candidates, um, you know, beyond kind of the hot coordinators. And there are guys on this list of mine that that's their chief experience. And, and I think that's important. But I, I also think they focused on leadership. I think they focused on guys who have proven that they can lead a team in the past. And I think Wilkes is one of those guys. To me, it's less about what he does for your defense, although he's a very good defensive coordinator, has been at multiple stops, you know, I think had one of the top pass defenses in the league, even in that, that rough year in Arizona, where he, in my mind, unfairly got canned after not really getting a chance to run that team for mm-hmm. more than a year with, with a terrible situation. Um, but you've seen him keep locker rooms together in tough places like Arizona, like Carolina after Matt Rule was fired. Um, and I think he's somebody that, you know, players do rally around that has proven that he can get it done in a variety of ways. And he has this coaching experience, not only as a coordinator, not only as a head coach, but across many different teams across the league, which means he's got those relationships to draw on as he builds a staff. So, you know, I, I know Wilkes would not be the biggest name on this list, but to me, he's a guy that would be a really interesting hire for them because he can build on what this defense has done to this point. I think he can build a very good staff, and I think he's the kind of guy you want leading your football team, which is, again, I think a point of emphasis for if they do strike out on the biggest names that I think we're, we know they're chasing, you know, you want a guy like that um, as your fallback plan. Yeah, I think those are all very valid points, um, and I, I think that I would lump Wilkes into a bucket with guys like Antonio Pierce, or Raheem Morris, um, not just because they're all defensive guys, but also because it does seem like their most attractive quality is kind of this culture building, get guys to run through a wall for you type of, of attitude and mindset. And, you know, again, with Wilkes, he has shown that he can bring stability to a locker room, to a team that's in flux. Not to say that's, you know, exactly where the Falcons are, because it's certainly different when you're doing it over the course of an off season, as opposed to like in the span of days in the middle of the season. Um, but the fact that Wilkes has shown he can kind of calmly take over the controls and keep a plane in the air mid flight, maybe gives you a little bit more hope that with a roster, with an organization that is not rebuilding, that does feel like they are, you know, they've taken off and that they're, they like the, the course that has been charted. I think that Wilkes makes a lot of sense as kind of a come in culture guy. My only question, the Ryan Nielsen of it all, if you're going to bring in a defensive coach, I think, you know, that's just a question in the back of my mind, right? As, as it is for everybody. Yeah. And I I think, you know, looking at Nielsen now has permission to interview with the Jaguars, right? Which is a new development. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think regardless of who you hire, unfortunately, it looks like Nielsen's probably on his way out. Um, it's not the choice that I would necessarily make, but it does, you know, give me less pause in, in hiring a defensive-minded head coach if ultimately, you know, one way or another, you're thinking he's leaving. Yeah, I, I mean, whether he's leaving, whether the team knows, hey, this is our main guy and we like the plan that they're laying out on defense or that is their background and we, you know, 
that could be one yeah. thing or the other. We can read into it a lot of different ways, but it is a shame. Also, you know, there, there are a lot of good coordinators out there. There are a lot of good, you know, um, it, it like I expect Nielsen at some point to be kind of in this mix for head coaches, but like he's not right now. And if these guys are, then it's because they've proven that they can do the job defensively as well. So maybe that gives you a little more hope. Um, all right. So my number four, and this is, uh, you know, the big name is Bill Belichick. Uh, I, you don't even have him on your list. I think we can just say that. Um, do you want to, let's start with why, why do you not have Bill Belichick on your, on your list? Yeah, it, it kind of gets into, I've had a lot of conversations with Patriots fans being up here in recent days, um, but also over the I'm last sure. two decades, um, you know, and it gets to Belichick, the coach is still an amazing coach. I, I think as a short term lift, just getting him in here, you know, you're not going to see the Falcons maybe underachieve in the same way with Bill Belichick as your coach. I just don't believe that's going to happen. I, I think certainly defensively, he brings a ton to the table. And I think with a better roster, you know, he's giving you more in 2024 than you might get with another coach. I think my qualms with him are who he is and, and the power he will wield in the organization um, as somebody who it's, it's his way or the highway. You know, he has a very particular approach to players um, that I, I don't know if it's going to resonate with this locker room with this in this year. You know, um, we've certainly seen. The way he handled Tom Brady, you know, wore Tom Brady down over decades. Um, but he treated Mac Jones, it sounds like, much the same way. And, and that went sideways very quickly. So, you know, do you want to bring him in, give him personnel power when, you know, a lot of his his picks and acquisitions, especially on the offensive side of the ball, have been so shaky? And when you don't know how he's going to mesh with other personalities around the organizations with the players you have, Etc. And, and, you know, try to compress building the Patriot way that Belichick did over a long period of time into, you know, the two, three, four years that he'll, he's likely to spend in Atlanta. So ultimately, that's my qualms with him. I think he's still a good coach. It's kind of the, the personnel and, and whole um, Bill Be Belichick aura around him um, that I'm more worried about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Like if if let's say on Tuesday, the Falcons announce that they've hired Bill Belichick, right? And then Wednesday yeah. it comes out that Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia and, and Joe Judge and all of these guys are coming down to be the coordinator. Like that part I'm not here for. That part, I, no, no, thank you. I'll take Bill Belichick. But again, it, it is just that infrastructure that he has insulated himself with in Boston for so, so long that I, I just feel like it's, I would love the combination of his expertise and his wisdom and knowing everything because the reason that he is ultimately number four on my list and he kind of made my list over um, kind of some other candidates who I may usually be a little bit more attracted to is as I, the more I thought about it, the things that I liked about Arthur Smith as a head coach, Bill Belichick has built his legendary reputation on doing those things, Right making adjustments game to game, making adjustments in game, right? To counter what the other team does well. That's something I thought Arthur Smith did immediately here in Atlanta and, and doesn't get enough credit for because I think a lot of people look at the close games against the bad teams as, and myself included, as like, you're supposed to be better than them, like go beat them. But against good teams, every most games, 
they're in it late and they're in a tight game. And that was just such a departure from kind of that Dan Quinn era where you had just these massive swings of volatility and the, the Falcons would come out and put 21 points up in the fourth qu- or first quarter and then not score again and lose 35-21. And it's like, what is happening? So yeah. Arthur Smith brought that. I think that he also shaped each team around the talents of his players You saw in year one with Matt Ryan, they featured a much heavier passing attack. They really didn't have a run game. Year two, the quarterback situation gets blown up in the offseason. They go to a heavy run game, and it works. It's one of the best in the league. Year three, they try to be more balanced, and they do start incorporating some passing games. And they actually have, you know, uh, among teams that have 400-plus yards, like their third or fourth (laughs) whole season. So they are moving the ball. So I give him credit for looking at his players and saying, how do I work with this, which is again a departure from kind of the DQ era, I remember talking um, to somebody in the in the building about just the philosophy, and they asked me, you know, when you're building a roster, do you want to build kind of your scheme around the players that you have, or do you want to bring in players for your scheme? Do you want to start with scheme or start with players? And I, my philosophy is like, work with your players. You're the coach, like they're the ones that have to go out there and play. So do what they do well. And he was like, no. Do it the other way, which that was kind of indicative of the the Dan Quinn mindset where it's we're going to do what we're going to do. We're just going to do it better than you can prepare for whatever. Like we're going to simplify and then we're going to beat you with talent and speed and all of that stuff. I like the other way. And that's more the Belichick way. So again, I kind of think that you're bringing in the same type of coaching mindset of this flexible diversity. He values smart players. Arthur Smith, I think, did as well. So the locker room could really be accepting of a Bill Belichick. Again, I just, I don't know if I'm prepared for everything that comes with it. And I certainly don't think he's a culture fit down here in Atlanta. Yeah. And and I think, you know, you mentioned the coordinator piece there and Patricia to me, that would be, boy, I I don't know if we could survive. That (laughs) might blow us up, but, but McDaniels is offensive coordinator. Like as depressing as it is to say that might be the best case scenario because he's the guy who has consistently succeeded. I don't know if it is anymore, man. Um, like, I think the Tom Brady shine applies to a lot of people in that organization. Yeah. If we're going to apply it to, to Belichick and say maybe a diminutive, then like, what has Josh McDaniels done that's not been associated with Tom Brady? Uh, that first year with Mac Jones where he was pretty solid, that was McDaniels, right? Because didn't he leave after that for Las Vegas? But even if we can give him one year. I mean, Matt Castle, yeah. that one year, that yeah. was, was pretty good. Um, so... We can maybe give them two years, but uh, yeah, I think you get, I think you get my point. We have the same number three, Dave. So do you want to go ahead and uh, reveal what that is? Yeah, it's it's Raheem Morris. And, you know, to me, um, you know, it it would be very funny if in a way um, they ended up hiring Raheem (laughs) Morris when they had the chance to do it three years ago and didn't do so. Um, And Arthur Blank kind of famously and glibly said, you know, if he goes 11 and five after they started 0 and five, maybe we'll hire him before kind of walking that back. So he didn't get a shot at the time. Um, But I look at Raheem Morris and I see somebody who, you know, again, has that diverse experience where he's coached on both sides of the ball. He's had a bunch of different roles. He's had head coaching experience that he's learned from. He's talked about that many times. Like I would do differently today than I did then. I was young. I figured these things out. Um, he's a player's yeah. coach that, that people really seem to adore. And he has connections, not just in the Falcons building because he's already been here. Um, but you know, with Kyle Shanahan, with Dan Quinn, with those coaching trees. So to me, he's a guy who, 
you bring him in for the stability and familiarity that he offers, but you also bring him in because he's a really bright defensive mind who, again, I would trust to build a really good staff and, and really good relationships with the players. So I think there's a reason that rumor has been out there that like if they strike out on Harbaugh and Belichick, let's say they would go with Raheem Morris. And I, I think it's because everyone in Atlanta really likes Raheem Morris. And I think they recognize that had they gone a different path a few years ago, maybe he would have been a good coach for them as well. So it's, it's not going to be the flashiest hire and I know it's going to give people some deja vu, but I think at every stop since he left Tampa Bay, you've seen Morris kind of prove who he is and what he's capable of. So that that to me makes him a strong choice. Absolutely. And I I mean, I'm for full disclosure biased on, on Raheem Morris because he was part of the coaching staff while I was there in the building covering the team. I have witnessed him in a team meeting room setting, talking and interacting with the players. So like I can speak firsthand to the type of culture he can build, the way that he does relate to players. Part of the reason, and you know, a lot of this is getting brought up now as um, kind of a reason that his resume is maybe bolstered, is because he did do work on the offensive side of the ball, even though his background is primarily on defense. He did spend a, a few years there as the wide receivers coach in Atlanta. But uh, you know, I was told kind of at the time, part of the reason that that um, change was made to move him over to the offensive side was kind of because of the personalities in in the building in that room right when you have a julio jones and you have a muhammad sanu and at the time like taylor gabriel and so i think again that speaks a lot to his relationship building with players because when they moved on um from he was actually he moved over there in 16 with Kyle Shanahan. And that was part of the the reason as well, I think, was his relationship with Kyle, his ability to communicate what Kyle wanted to do. And that's another huge boost um, to Raheem Morris's resume is just the relationships and who he has worked with and learned from all throughout the league. Right. He was part of that really famous Washington coaching staff in the early part of the the 2010s with RG3 and also Sean McVay was there and Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan and Raheem. It's like this little incubation chamber for just like the next decade and a half of, of NFL coaching. He was part of that. So if there's anybody that probably knows the offensive structure and landscape of the current NFL game, like it's probably Raheem Morris because he had a firsthand view of the origin of all of these coaches and he's worked with a lot of them. He's worked, you know, with Kyle Shanahan. He has worked with Sean McVay closely as a defensive coordinator. So let's see what he can do now that he's learned that he's much more mature. But because, again, he brings so much else to the table. And you're right. He is, I think, really well respected in Atlanta. And a lot of the like front office guys, the scouts, the pro personnel, like those guys, a lot of them are still here. Like he would have a, a real direct connection to a lot of the staff, support staff, those guys are all still in the building. Um, so that's something that I, I do think Raheem Morris would be a pretty safe fallback. And it's why I think we're hearing his name in that yeah, way. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, let's go to your number two then. Yeah, I think we passed number four. So I'll mention him super fast. Oh, uh, did we pass number four? Okay, yeah. my bad. Yep, you number four. Just, this is what Belichick does, right? He sucks all the oxygen out of them. He does, yeah. He gets us off our game. 
Um, yeah, because it, it actually it'll lead right into to my number two as well, which um, number four was Bobby Slovic um, from the Houston Texans. And it's, it's sort of similar to my number two, which is Ben Johnson, in that both of these guys have really just been coordinators. You'd be hiring them right out of the coordinator ranks. But both of them have been so promising as coordinators. And Slovic, it's just been, you know, one year. But the way that he has coached that Texans offense, which was a mess before he got there, the way he has, um, you know, played to C.J. Stroud's strengths and I think gotten the most out of a player who is obviously incredible in his own right um, and really, you know, turn that passing game into something special, something that is propelling them forward in the playoffs, to me is really intriguing because you have, minus the quarterback, and a second receiver, I guess, um, you know, the pieces to have that kind of passing attack in Atlanta. So I would be intrigued by him for that reason. Um, you don't know, you know, who he's going to pull in for a staff. He's, you know, I know we just came from a series of coordinator hires, right, where, you know, sometimes the guy you hired to be your coordinator on one side of the ball or another was a bit of an issue. And, and I think that's probably true with Ben Johnson as well, who is my number two. Um, but I, I would say that with Johnson, you have sort of the strengths that he's displayed in Detroit to fall back on, which is any playmaker that you plug into that offense, he has made things happen for them. You know, he's done a really good job of accentuating player strengths and nowhere has that been more apparent than with Jared Goff, who is a really good quarterback when he's not under a ton of pressure which is difficult because he's not mm -hmm. a mobile guy. He's not great at escaping pressure. Um, I would say he's one of the least mobile quarterbacks still left in the NFL. So the fact that, you know, you take a, the, the pieces in Detroit that are really good and you're able to assemble them into a cohesive whole where everybody's a little bit better than they would be, you know, in another offense, um, I think speaks well to Johnson's ability to build that out. And, and in Atlanta, you know, he'd be inheriting some tremendous players, you know, and he, the hope would be that he could do for Kyle Pitts what he did for Sam Laporta. He could do for Bijan Robinson what he's done for Junior mm -hmm. Gibbs, um, and he can do for a young quarterback what he's done for Jared Goff. So the, the reason he's higher on my list is, A, he's a little more experienced. B, um, I think he can pull some strong pieces from that Detroit staff potentially. And he's been immersed in that Detroit culture for a little bit. And I think that what Dan Campbell has built there and what Johnson has likely learned from him there and what he's learned from working with these players would be something that would translate well to Atlanta. I'm sorry for skipping over your number four. That's just bad podcast hosting on my part. Okay. But I do want to start with Slovic uh, a little bit because I think that I kind of, I was all in on Joe Brady, the last coaching cycle, right? And I, I'm trying to do some self-scouting and learn from that because it didn't go well in Carolina. Obviously, you know, he kind of is trying to change things around in Buffalo. Uh, we'll see if they can keep going in the playoffs. But I was like coming out of, of LSU. He'd been in New Orleans. I was all in on the production, everything that was happening. And, you know, I'm, I kind of view Bobby Slovic in, in the same way. I think Joe Brady actually weirdly had a little bit more of a track record. And I, I am, I think in on my mindset with a coaching hire is I'm fine swinging again for a young offensive coordinator. I would rather have a head coach whose hand is in the offensive side of the ball, just because I think that that is, you know, if you've got a really good 
coach on the offense, that to me just means a little bit more than maybe having a really good coach on the defense. Maybe it's the era, uh, era of the game that we're in. Maybe it's the way that the rules have changed, what have you. But I don't want to risk the chance of losing a great offensive coordinator. However, I do think all of the reasons that you just advocated for Slovic are reasons to advocate for a great offensive coordinator. I don't know anything about his culture building. I don't know anything about his connections around the league. Who is he bringing in as his staff? Like, I think his ability to call plays is awesome. I think Houston is very lucky to have him in the role that they do because right now, again, based on experience, like very rarely are there the Sean McVay's. More frequently are there, you know, the Adam Gases or a Joe Brady or somebody who gets elevated pretty quickly and then, you know, brought back down a little bit. I don't know if that's where the Falcons want to go, but I, I do really like Bobby Slovic. And again, I am kind of for that approach. Ben Johnson, um, who I had at number five on, on the list for a lot of the reasons that you outlined. Um, I, I do think his makeup and his background, he was in Miami with Dan Campbell as the assistant tight ends coach. Dan Campbell's tight ends coach then becomes the interim head coach there for a while. That's kind of when he first pops up on, on the media cycle and the dolphins turned it around. They went, um, I think five and seven with him there as kind of the interim coach. And, and so that was fun. And obviously Ben Johnson first caught his eye, I think there. And it's notable that when he goes to Detroit, Ben John or yeah, Ben Johnson then kind of coaches tight ends again in 2020, 2021. Then he's the offensive coordinator the last two years. And I think the, he is maybe the most direct kind of comparison to like what he did in Detroit and what he could do in Atlanta is very, very similar because of the personnel that they have on hand, right? You talk about a one-two approach with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, All right? You got Bajan Robinson and Tyler Algier down here. And if you want to bring Cordero back, I mean, maybe with the coaching staff and stuff changed up, he would not be down for that, but it's not that hard to find a third element if you want to mix it in. I would say Drake London is not necessarily Amon Ross St. Brown, but you have a proven number one here. You've got Kyle Pitts and Sam Laporta. If Kyle Pitts can return to kind of full strength, which I think he showed kind of at the end of the year, the last few games for Kyle Pitts were better than like most of the games that he had, I think, throughout the season. So maybe he is really kind of ramping back up and next year should be full go. You get him back involved. Uh, so there's like a lot of direct one-to-one and then you trust his, what he's done at the quarterback position, right? You have, you've seen with Jared Goff, okay, it wasn't all just Sean McVay, but we did see what Jared Goff looked like without Sean McVay, and then what he looked like with Sean McVay. So there is kind of that doubt of, all right, maybe it's not Jared Goff. Like, I, I don't think everybody's just suddenly like, Jared Goff's gotten so much better. They give credit to the coordinator, and maybe there is some truth to that because we have seen kind of that with and without um, being a good coordinator. So I, I agree with you on Ben Johnson. I'm, I, it's interesting to me that you do have him at two, because again, I think the same thing applies in a, in a pool with so many experienced head coaches. Like that is a little bit of a knock against him is kind of that experience around the league. Who are you bringing in with your coaching staff, all of that stuff. But if you're just looking for somebody to take this offense to the next level, I think he's kind of the clear number one candidate at this point in time um so yeah all right so that was your number two uh, my number two is mike vrabel um who we don't need to spend too too much time on because honestly i don't know if vrabel would accept this job um i 
I think that there are a lot of reasons to like the Falcons job. I just wonder, you know, he and Arthur Smith are still fairly close. Like they, they did work together for a long time. I I wonder if that would be kind of the, the play here. Also, I don't know if the Falcons have really shown much interest in Vrabel. I don't know. Like, obviously when they were thinking about this, he wasn't among the names that was being thrown out there as guys who were going to be candidates. It was kind of a surprise late move by the organization. So I would personally really like Vrabel because I think it brings kind of continuity culture-wise because obviously that's the culture that Arthur Smith grew up in. So you would bring it here and kind of keep that consistency. And I think Vrabel is a damn good coach. Um, So that's kind of why he would be number two on my list. But what are your thoughts on on Vrabel? Again, I I don't know how much that's in the Falcons cards. I was just kind of kind of like that idea. Yeah, it's um, and I know we'll get to our number one in a minute here, but um, I sort of added him on last second because he became available and it became a realistic thing to think about for the Falcons. The reason Vrabel's not on my list is kind of for the reasons you've outlined um, some doubt that he would actually land here. I think if you know we learn tomorrow that the Falcons had interviewed Mike Vrabel, he'd move up my list ahead of somebody else, <laughs> um, probably quite high on it. Um, I think you wonder a little bit about who he hires as his offensive coordinator because post Arthur Smith, it's been a little bit difficult for them to to settle on somebody who works out. Um, but you know, as a, a defensive coach, as a coach, full stop, as a culture builder, um, Mike Frable is is excellent. So you would feel really good about bringing him into this organization for kind of the same reason that we outlined earlier with Belichick, right? You, you wouldn't worry about the Falcons maybe underachieving under him. And I, I think that's really what we're talking about with this team now is they have so much of the talent in place. We have to get the most out of it. And, and I think somebody who is a motivator and a coach like Vrabel would be a good fit for that. Yeah. It's, it's just a proven steady pair of hands behind the wheel and somebody who, yeah, you've seen achieve big things, You've also seen achieve, you know, poor seasons, but but there are I, when things went well, everybody really kind of pointed to Vrabel first and foremost as the reason things were going well. And even when things were going poorly, the respect was there for Vrabel. So I think that kind of like says everything you need to know about how much players like him, how much respect he has around the league as a former player. Like he's he's just rock solid, and I fully expect wherever he lands, he's gonna do big things. Like I, I think that that's pretty uh, pretty certain. Um, yeah. all right. Number one on both of our lists, is Jim Harbaugh, uh, the reigning national champion at the uh, collegiate level. But why Dave is he, you know, not only because they interviewed him and seemingly now it's, it's real, right? They, they yeah. swiped right on Tinder. Is that even the right way to, um, let's go. Um, yeah. So, uh, tell me why you like Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. To me, um, you know, if we're coming back to like I think it's pretty clear that Arthur Blank would like a big name hire. He'd like a, a coach with an outsized reputation, outsized influence, somebody who has a proven track record of success too. And to me, what makes Harbaugh so intriguing is that he's done it in multiple places. Like Bill Belichick, you know, in New England, obviously the greatest coaching run of all time in the NFL. But Harbaugh, you know, built up Stanford, left it in a great place um, when he left, went to San Francisco turn that into a great team. Um, one of the better teams in the NFC. We unfortunately were on the wrong end of that, um, you know, in 2012 and then went to Michigan and built them into a national champion. And like, this is a guy who, you know, 
everybody kind of acknowledges that he's weird and intense, um, as a lot of coaches are, right? <laughs> but he builds cultures, he builds programs, he builds teams, and they're successful. And he's he's adaptable. Um, he's you know been in all of these different situations. He's got um, still ties in this league, obviously, both through his brother and through his time in San Francisco, just folks that he knows. And he's a, he's a great mm-hmm. players coach, a great identifier of talent. Like, I would rather not see Terry Fontenot pushed out of the way um, because I think he's done a really good job, especially this last offseason. But you don't worry about giving him personal power, final say over the 53 in the same way that you would with Belichick, who maybe has an uneven track record there. I think Harbaugh, everywhere he's gone, he's been stellar at identifying you know, who fits for him and getting the most out of them. So to me, it's not any one thing. It's not a, a defensive scheme he's bringing. It's not he's going to try to bring in this kind of player at quarterback because that actually might be one of my concerns is that we'll end up with J.J. McCarthy. Um, but <laughs> you know, ultimately, it's about the fact that big picture, this is a guy who knows how to build a really good football team and keep that football team playing at a high level. And the Falcons, of course, have been inconsistent. They've struggled to get over this hump for so long. But to me, like Harbaugh is that guy that can come in and get that job done. So, yeah, that's that's where I land. I, I think that Harbaugh, as you're saying, is kind of the perfect combination of all of these factors that we like, right? When I talk about Belichick and I talk about his versatility and I talk about how he can kind of win with what's given to him, like, so can Jim Harbaugh. He's won with Colin Kaepernick. He's won with J.J. McCarthy. He's won with Andrew Luck, as a lot of people did. But, um, you know, like, I, I think he just gets the game, the scheme, the play calling, the, but he also understands the culture building, right? And he turned Michigan into essentially an SEC program when it wasn't even the biggest name in the Big Ten. Like Ohio State, right down the road, I would say that is a bigger name. No offense to any Michigan fans out there, but at the time, certainly when he took over the program, like Michigan State or Ohio State was rolling. They were a power. He still had Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, and he brought Michigan right up to that level. And he did it because of his ability to captivate an audience he people buy into what he's selling people want to watch people want to like he would weirdly be almost like a jerry glanville-esque figure here in atlanta but not because he would go out of his way to be like wearing black on the sidelines or doing whatever but like the who's got it better than us stuff like that would resonate anywhere you know anybody would kind of buy into that in any city so in a weird way like when we say belichick doesn't fit culture wise, but here's another old white guy who's just kind of coming in and being like an old football mind who is weird and eccentric and whatever. But it's like, so is Mike McDaniel. Like I, you can be weird and eccentric and intense and still make it work and still connect with a city. So I, I think that, that that all fits. Like he does check a lot of the boxes. He's still not, he's not that old. Like he, he's got more years in him. If you're bringing him in, it's not going to be like a quick fix. Can we win one while he's here? you can maybe build something with Jim Harbaugh and maybe like his last stop. He's one in the NFL. He's one in college. Here's my, my last little thought for you, Dave. Like what are the odds that, that all of this Belichick is just a massive smokescreen? because before 28 to three, the biggest kind of letdown for the Falcons was that 2012 NFC championship game against yeah. Harbaugh, San Francisco 49ers. And Arthur Blank sat there, saw firsthand 
that type of team building. The roster in San Francisco, while Harbaugh was there, was like the best in the NFL for several years. I mean, they had so much talent on either side of the ball. I'm with you. I would like for Terry Fontenot to stay because I think he is maybe the best pro personnel guy like in the league. His ability to identify guys at the NFL level is incredible. Let him do that. Give Harbaugh some say in how he wants to build the stuff and let it be a little bit more of a partnership. The more we I think about it, the more we talk about it. And now that they've interviewed him, I wonder if they're like Belichick, Belichick, Belichick. All right, Jim, get in here. Let's talk. I, we, we trust you to be the guy to get this ship where it needs to be. Yeah. And I think maybe that even wasn't the intent per se, but I also think that Harbaugh is the kind of guy that you get in a room and maybe he sells you on it. Like I, I think the rumor all along has been they would like a big name like Belichick or Harbaugh. And obviously mm-hmm. Belichick's been the core focus of so much of the reporting. But, you know, these NFL guys just don't necessarily have the same sources with Harbaugh. Like the Falcons got to spring that interview on us instead of yeah. an insider breaking it, which never happened. Man, yet. I would have loved for that to have happened while I was there. They couldn't, right. have, they couldn't have done one of those for me. <laughs> no, I know. They let you down, man. Um, but, you know, so to me, like, you know, there might be something to that. Maybe it's about kind of sneaking in Harbaugh underneath all of the Belichick hype. And I think, again, even if that wasn't the plan, if Blank is like totally in on uh, Belichick, maybe sitting down with Harbaugh, hearing how he wants this thing to go and sort of being reminded of the program that San Francisco was when he was there might push him past it. Um, because I have to think, you know, some of the quirks and worries that you have with Belichick just aren't there with Harbaugh in the same way. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some connection too to, to the Ravens and, and John Harbaugh through Arthur Blank, right? Mike Smith is, is he brother-in-laws with Brian Billick, who was obviously a longtime coach of the Ravens there. So like, there's kind of, uh, there's a little bit of connection. And if they wanted to get, Hey, John, like, Tell us, tell us your pitch on Jim. Like they could, they could do that. And they are doing all of that. And that's also part of the reason Rich McKay is involved in the process and always is, is because we're talking about connections. Like he could pick up the phone and call literally anybody in this league and they're going to answer and and talk to him. So that's useful as well, especially when you're, you're vetting somebody for the biggest job. Belichick, you kind of know what you're going to get. But again, Harbaugh seems like a little bit of an enigma and maybe you want to kind of air that out a little bit. Um, so any any final thoughts on our top five list, Dave, before we wrap this up? No, I, I think ultimately nobody on either of our lists, you know, would I be truly unhappy with, right? Like I think they've assembled a strong list of candidates. There are guys that I prefer, and, and I know that, you know, for me, if they hire Belichick, I have some big picture questions that, you know, I'll want to see answered and I I won't get answered right away. Right. Because we don't know what the power structure will look like, but ultimately you feel pretty good that they're not out here, you know, like interviewing Nathaniel Hackett this time around. And and I do feel like it is a strong list. And so ultimately you hope they make the right hire for the right reasons, but you know, they've given themselves a really good shot at it with this. Yeah, they are certainly casting a, a far and wide net, but I know that we are as well at thefalcolic.com for the coaching search. So Dave, you want to lay out uh, everything we got going on on the, on the site right now? 
Yeah, um, so we're going to get into our 2023 roster review soon. We're really gearing up for the draft. Got some exciting stuff from from you, Will, from Kevin Knight and the team on that front. But on the coaching search front, we're, we're maintaining a tracker that sits something like 4,000 words now, trying to update that daily with any news and rumors, um, writing up these coaching candidates as they come in and, and giving our thoughts really on, you know, pre-hire and then post-hire once we find out who it is, you know, how this is going to fit, what we expect from this team going forward and how we're going to get out of the the rut that the Falcons have been stuck in for this many years. So that, that's really ultimately where we're pointing. So um, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. So we'll have plenty. I cannot wait to chip in to, to the coverage when they hire the coach. You know, that's more maybe my forte because all this speculating and makes me queasy. I'm like, none of us really know. We're just sitting here spinning stories but when they make the decision i look forward to probably adding uh, an analytic piece or two to just kind of what the new coach brings but then definitely looking forward to contributing during the draft season and and kind of the lead up to that main event um i think we'll announce on the site here maybe in the next week of like what what that will actually be but it, it should be a lot of fun um so i encourage you guys to kind of keep an eye out for that but Dave, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to break down your top five head coaching candidates for the Falcons head coaching uh, position. This was a lot of fun, dude. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was great. And um, even though our lists weren't identical, I think yours was really good. So for the record. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, but your list was better. And we all know that. So yeah. again, thanks so much, man. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode or watching on our YouTube channel, Believe in Falcons. Go check it out. Uh, lively comment section there. It's uh, it's really popping off and great place to uh, ask any questions for the show, share your opinion with uh, fellow listeners or watchers or Falcons fans in general. So again, go check that out. A big thank you to Dave Choate again for joining me for today's episode. Go check out all of the great coverage that we have going on at thefalcoholic.com. And today's episode, as always, was presented by Bet Online. Again, be on the lookout for uh, a bonus episode with Steve Weish coming up Friday afternoon for you guys uh, this weekend to enjoy. That will do it for me today. Until next time, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.